Welcome to Paragoricon, a podcast of strangeness and truth. As Marie Curie said, nothing in life is to be feared, it is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Join us as we explore the darker corners of existence. There are so many bridges that there are bridges inside the academic building. Like, there are like seven Torgeson equivalents. I just don't understand you guys. I was just about to make a joke about bridges inside buildings, and then it's true. (laughs) I squint at you, Pittsburgh. At least with all those bridges, you don't have to worry too much about a gigantic hole opening up and swallowing you and everything you love. There aren't many of those in this town, unless we're built on top of volcanic pumice, but I don't think we are. I think it's more like, um, I don't know, whatever whatever mountains here are made of uh, good old-fashioned Appalachia. <laughs> I feel like a lot of Appalachia is actually limestone. Actually limestone. Ah, uh, fuck. It's not it's little... I bet it's just nothing but karst all the way down. It's just rust and then karst and then rusty karst. <laughs> and then a structure of bridges and then another... Yeah, it's like lasagna. It's a lasagna of American <laughs> sadness. If we sold our infrastructure as lasagna, I know I would mm-hmm. care more. Oh yeah, me too. Makes me hungry right now and just thinking about it. Welcome to Paragoricon. I'm Jack Parker. And I'm JJ Roy. And today we're going to be covering sinkholes. You will not see a sinkhole come in because you'll be there one moment and then all of a sudden, boom, the bottom of your house will drop out and you will fall into a 30-foot pit and die. And if you think you're safe because you're in an apartment, I've got bad news. Because buildings get eaten whole by sinkholes. What is a sinkhole? I know there's a bunch of fancy terms. Give me some fancy terms for sinkholes, JJ. I don't know if these are fancy terms, but these are certainly words that people have given to sinkholes. Aside from a sinkhole, they're also called uh, cenotes, particularly in uh, Central America, where there's a whole bunch of them in southern Mexico and Belize and Guatemala. They're also called shakeholes. My personal favorite is the word swallet. Swallet? <laughs> swallet. Watch out for that there. Swallet. There's also, I guess, swallow hole, which swallet might be a diminutive of. And then doline. Doline? Doline. Sinkholes actually have several different causes. First of all, they can happen in different kinds of geological terrain. And don't worry, this episode is not going to be super boring and all about rocks, but it is going to have some rock content for all of you very excitable geologists out there. So sinkholes do happen in a variety of different kinds of rock, like limestone, volcanic pumice, sometimes sandstone, things like that. And when a natural sinkhole opens up, that is because some form of erosion has sort of washed away the rock deposits. It sort of undermines this area of stone, and then the weight of all the rock and stone and soil and stuff on top of it collapses into a giant hole. If you've ever built a sand castle and, like, made a big hill of sand and then eventually tried to empty it out to make, like, a sand igloo... That's what I did as a kid. It doesn't work. That's basically what is going on here. And there are some incredibly old uh, sinkholes throughout the world that we'll cover later. Then you have man-made sinkholes where, similarly, you have some sort of substrate that can dissolve easily. Something like unconsolidated pumice volcanic ash rock or or something. Whatever your town is built on, you have your uh, underlying material, like in the natural case. But what's causing the erosion 
is some sort of human activity. It could be sewage runoff, for example. So um, sewage runoff that has the right kind of pH. It could dissolve things like pumice stone. That was a problem in Guatemala, which we'll talk about. There's also cases where the problem is that we are mining something and it causes a collapse. And then there's kind of this in-between place where this isn't a black and white thing, whether or not it's natural. I mean, obviously, humans are part of a natural system. Um, we're using kind of like a, a natural versus man-made in, in a kind of a primitive sense here. Mm-hmm. But um, there's also mega slumps, which are really interesting. Um, and that is kind of an in-between place where we are causing them, but in this indirect way where it's not really clear how we should understand the phenomenon. Yeah, so mega slumps are essentially what happens when permafrost in really frozen places, um, which is soil that is permanently frozen, permafrost, right, is beginning to melt. And when it melts, it loses structure uh, in a loose and dirty kind of way. And as this permafrost, which is supposed to be frozen year-round, begins to thaw, that is leading to sinkholes in places like Siberia, and we're going to cover that. Now, that is something that is pretty much obviously a direct result of climate change, and if you don't believe that humans are helping to induce or at least speed up climate change, I don't know what to say to you, but that's the man-made part of it, is that humans are making the planet hotter, and by making the planet hotter, they are melting our frosty parts, and those frosty parts are then caving in. They call it thermokarst, and mm-hmm. we'll we'll get into the details of that in a bit, but yeah. um, just as a brief summary... Mm-hmm. The sinkhole is a collapse. It's a depression in the ground. Something happens where you have a cavity and the top breaks through to the bottom and you got a big hole. And that's basically what it is. We're going to start close to home with urban and suburban sinkholes. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them seem to be strangely targeted. Precise, kind of like tornadoes can be, yeah. you know, wiping out an entire like suburban neighborhood, but leaving one single house standing. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the sinkholes feel like. So I'm going to tell the story of the Ravenna sinkhole. Ooh. On the night of November 11th, 1957, the Ravenna neighborhood of Seattle was rocked on Ravenna Boulevard between 16th and 17th Avenues Northeast when a massive sinkhole opened up between the houses. It was 60 feet deep, 120 feet wide, 200 feet long. And despite being a hole of such massive proportions, amazingly, not a single house was damaged and not a single person was injured, much less killed. It was a remarkably gentle and safe sinkhole. (laughs) Upon (laughs) investigating, town authorities found that it was due to a failure in a six-foot-in-diameter sewer line that ran far, far beneath the neighborhood. What had happened is a rupture had occurred in the sewer line, and sewage water had begun to leak out and slowly dissolve away the undergirding rock and soil that held up Ravenna, eventually causing a sinkhole. The pipe was, in fact, very, very deep down. It was 145 feet down. And so this sort of uh, might perhaps give you an idea of how the sinkholes can function, because the sinkhole only dropped not even half the depth to the broken sewer pipe. It ended up taking two years to repair. They had to evacuate some people, but eventually they did stabilize the broken pipe with new grout material, and they built a new tunnel, and it all ended up working out okay. And in fact, because the sinkhole didn't swallow any of the neighborhood houses and they just filled it back in, having fixed the problem, air quote quotes, 
you can go to the neighborhood of Ravenna and not even really notice where the sinkhole happened because all of the houses from the era are still standing perfectly fine. So that's a, a nice, safe sinkhole. Yeah. Um, next story is a little bit more distressing. And one of the reasons it's so distressing to me is I'd actually never heard about this mm-hmm. town and what was done to the town. So this whole problem started in August of 2012. In August 2012, a sinkhole opened up on a plot of land that had been being mined by a petrochemical company known as Texas Brine. They were getting salt There was a three mile wide and over a mile deep salt deposit. These things are called salt domes. This one was a Napoleonville dome and it was being injection mined by Texas brine. That process involves sinking wells into the dome and flushing them with these high pressure streams of water that causes salt water to happen, right? Because you're taking water and you're sticking it in salt that gets pumped up to the surface to be transported on for refining. A salt cavern called Oxy-3 had been hollowed out during this process, and when it collapsed, it resulted in an acre-wide sinkhole that only took a year to widen up to like this huge 24 acres, 750 feet deep, huge hole. And it's also really disgusting because there's like a crude oil leak involved here um, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just to interject real quick, salt domes oftentimes are covered by a sort of frosty layer of crude oil and natural gas. Like these deposits aren't just for salt. A petrochemical company is involved because they also kind of slurp up the crude oil and natural gas that is involved. So when one of these things collapses, it collapses into a great big fat slurry mess. Yeah, there had been some rumbling happening right before the collapse and there had been bubbling happening in the water nearby. So it was belching debris and fumes. Basically what happened is that not only did this cavity get collapsed, that unleashed all of these explosive gases and those are believed to have seeped into a local aquifer and also to have risen up into the community area. So between like the noxious fumes of the belching horrible hellhole and the active direct danger of collapsing and dying, they had to evacuate everyone in the town. This was the basis of this huge lawsuit happening. But what I find really striking about this is that, so first off, um, what led to the collapse was a sideways cavern collapse, which is something that so far as we know, has never happened before for creating a sinkhole. It's an unexpected phenomenon. And when initially the problem happened, um, Texas Brine was positive it wasn't related to what they were doing. And I actually think that they genuinely thought that because uh, it it was such a uh, previously unknown phenomenon. And it's just particularly tough because it's one of those situations where Texas Brine is a major petrochemical company and it is sort of fighting with the local townspeople that are trying to put together a class action lawsuit and then state regulators and whose fault is this as like a tiny little hidden BP kind of kerfuffle. Now for, I guess at this point, four years, the residents have just sort of had to leave. Um, Except for some of them, some of them refused the evacuation order. So that's... eh. Um, And they're getting money. They are getting money, yeah. And so that's why Texas Brine is mad, because they do give a weekly stipend to the people that had to evacuate. And that is given to everybody who is a resident of the town, including the people that stayed. So Texas Brain is kind of mad at the people that are staying, but accepting the money that should be funding them staying somewhere else. Then again, those people are also like drinking and living in sort of seeping 
toxic explosive fumes. Yeah, I mean, like, there is a giant belching hill pit where their town used to be, so... It's really hard to just leave. But you might think, well, I don't live in a suburb, and I don't live in the bayou. I live in a city. Cities are fine. Cities have, like, urban planners, and if they have subways, people figure that stuff out. There's no way that, like, a sinkhole is going to open up right in the middle of a city. This has happened in far more densely populated regions, in far more population-dense urban areas. Uh, One of the places that keeps on getting whacked by this is Guatemala City. So I'm going to describe to you the 2010 Guatemala City sinkhole. Now, it's important that I say 2010 because there was a 2007 Guatemala City sinkhole. And there have been many, many of these that cropped up. But this is one of the more famous ones. What happened is that a 65-foot radius, 300-foot deep sinkhole swallowed a three-story factory in Zona 2. And Zona 2 and the rest of Guatemala City is built on volcanic pumice deposits. That's going to be important later. But um, when that collapse happened, 15 people were killed and, and many more people were injured. The area had been destabilized by a volcanic eruption recently. And then... Also, there had been continual leakage from the local sewer pipes, and that eroded the unconsolidated pumice and ash that was the base of the city. So the whole foundation of the city is this loose, easily dissolvable stone. And on top of that, there was this kind of perfect storm happening of factors because there had been a tropical storm, and that had come and washed out part of the cavity. It had loosened the cavity in a way that made it very easy for it to collapse from above. An earlier sinkhole in 2007 formed for similar reasons, where sewer leakage had gone and eroded deposits of ash and limestone, and it's just going to keep happening. People have described the Guatemala City sinkholes as like a natural version of the problems that Guatemala City has with its infrastructure and its government and its corruption and all these things. And it remains an actively dangerous place. I highly recommend you looking at the pictures of the Guatemala City sinkhole because it's just this, it's jarring. It just is like this almost perfectly round hole. Like someone took a craft puncher and stuck it in the middle of a cityscape. It's like somebody drew a circle on an aerial view of the city and then just hit delete. And like Mm -hmm. a Looney Tune hole to the center of the earth just happened. (sighs) Spooky. Well, let's move back to the States. This is from an article by Rick Jervis from USA Today. In 2013, in the town of Sefner, Florida, the night of February 28th, Jeremy Bush went to sleep. His whole family, including his brother, were asleep in their home until Jeremy heard a loud crash. He ran to one of the bedrooms to see a deep, dirt-covered hole about 20 feet across where his brother had been sleeping just a few moments before. He said that he jumped into the hole and began to claw through the dirt, searching desperately for his brother. A few minutes later, a sheriff's deputy arrived, and they hauled him out of the hole, saying that the ground was still crumbling around them, the house was unsafe, its foundation had been compromised, and even though Jeremy was trying to save his brother, he needed to get out for his own sake. Engineers lowered a microphone into the hole to try and pick up sounds to see if Jeffrey Bush had been crushed immediately and entirely, or if he was still alive and they should mount a rescue attempt. Unfortunately, a second collapse actually struck the home while they were recording and sucked the microphone equipment and the related paraphernalia inside. 
After another day of testing, engineers decided that it's too dangerous. So we're just gonna call it a loss. The family ended up placing flowers and a teddy bear in front of the house before they demolished their home and filled the sinkhole with four truckloads of gravel, creating a sort of as-good-as-you're-gonna-get grave for Jeffrey Bush, who went to sleep, never in a million years probably, expecting a sinkhole to open up precisely under his bedroom as he slept. County officials said that they believed that the body of Jeffrey Bush, who was never found, never recovered, they just, again, put gravel over top of him, may have been sucked into the water table beneath the surface that caused the sinkhole, and that, perhaps, his body would later flush out into the nearby Alafia River. It wasn't just a dry hole, it was a hole that uh, people who were considering rescuing him said that it was also sort of like wading into quicksand. Here's the aftermath of that story. Mm-hmm. That sinkhole grew to be 30 feet wide and 100 feet deep. It was expected to span under neighboring homes. Another massive sinkhole opened in the same town immediately afterwards. And then a couple years later, one in the same spot happened, yet again, that grew to 17 feet wide and 20 feet deep. And they were supposed to have fixed it that first time around, and they didn't fix it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so that just, sucks. It sounds like that whole town is sort of... Uh, like... It sounds dangerous. I don't know the situation with their sort of municipal people in charge of fixing sinkholes, but I feel like maybe they could stand to step up and try and fix the problem at its source. I think the problem is that they're not communicating with the town because the municipal people are in a sinkhole. Like, it just swallowed <laughs> them, and they're shouting, but no one can hear. Yeah, that's sad. They should throw them a microphone, then people could hear them. And they'd be like, yeah. let us out, we're in a sinkhole. Thanks Help. for sending us the corpse who are hungry. <laughs> Speaking of throwing corpses into sinkholes, let's let's get away from man-made things. Let's let's go look at the glory and the beauty of nature. We're going to go to the beautiful ancient Mayan city of Chichen Itza. One sinkhole in particular is known as the sacred cenote. Now, cenotes are not just sinkholes. They're sinkholes that are filled with water at the bottom, oftentimes rainwater, but they're also connected to one another underneath the ground. So not independent plugs taken out of the earth. They are connected by a series of caves. I personally kind of have a love affair with the cenotes of the Yucatan. I really want to go there. Some people actually go cave diving, like scuba diving in a cave through the tunnels uh, that connect the cenotes, which I find incredibly terrifying and intense because... Oh. It's how you awaken an ancient god. That is how you awaken an ancient god. Yes. <laughs> Classically, the Mayans had lots of religious beliefs tied to the cenotes. They believed that at the bottom of a cenote was a sort of threshold into the underworld or the other world. They did a variety of things uh, with these cenotes, including, uh, you know, sometimes giving offerings, particularly human sacrificial offerings. In an article by National Geographic, so I do trust them, they talked about how the bones of six humans, including two children, jade beads, shells, and stone tools were among the Mayan treasures found in a water-filled cave off of a sinkhole at the famous archaeological site of Chichen Itza. This is from 2011. Um... Expedition leader Guillermo Anda told National Geographic News that it was very improbable that the remains and artifacts were, quote, just tossed into the sinkhole. Um, he said that they were likely placed there during a ceremony to appease the Mayan rain god Chak. 
Chalk. <laughs> also, let me talk about Chalk for just a second. Chalk was a badass. He was lord of rain, clouds, and thunder. And no, he did not have a thunder hammer. He did not throw lightning bolts. He had a lightning axe, which he would chop lightning out of the sky. Like, what you pow? Blam! He was amazing. There were all sorts of fantastic rain rituals. I, I love my deities. This is another, like, Shipe Totec, like, kind of flashback. Anyways, so Chak was amazing because they had a ceremony called the Yucatec Chachak Ceremony, where they would ask for his rain and uh, create a ceremonial banquet. It's also said that four boys, one for each cardinal point, were also made to act and chant like frogs to appease dear Chak. Man, that's some evil Pope shit. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, at least if it makes the rains work so that, you know, the whole city doesn't just starve to death, it might be worth it. Anyways, that's uh, what Julia said too, so. <laughs> it is also noted that, uh, yeah, young men and women were lowered into the wells. And there's actually evidence here that says that sometimes they might not have just been sacrificed, they might have been lowered into the wells and then drawn back up so that they could speak visions and prophecies, give oracles given to them by the god Chalk. Does that make him the drowned god from Game of Thrones? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, he's not in the ocean. He's in a cenote. So, yeah, there's, in particular, the Sacred Cenote by Chichen Itza is one that is particularly beautiful and uh, frequented by tourists. It's, yeah, they're really, really pretty, surrounded by just gorgeous, rich rainforests, and the water in them is oftentimes a rich, pure, clear, beautiful blue. It's really awesome. So, yeah, that's my little love affair with cenotes. I really want to go, I really want to go see one someday. That's what I have to say. But you know what? That's not the only sacred hole we have. There's also one called the Heavenly Pit over in China. Chaozai Tianqing, the Heavenly Pit, is the world's deepest sinkhole. At least it's usually described as the world's deepest sinkhole. It's possible there's a deeper one out there that we just haven't found yet. But um, it's found in Fangji County in the northeast Chongqing municipality, which is... Like kind of in south central to southwest China, this is more like central southern, just below the midline because it's like um, the northeast part of that municipality. The municipality is this huge thing, so like 500 miles out from like the main city, I think. But the sinkhole itself is about 630 meters long and 540 meters wide, and it ranges from around 500 to 660 meters deep and has these steep vertical walls. And really, those two heights are really two things stacked on top of each other because the sinkhole consists of two nested bowls. So there's an inner one that goes down and then you get to this rim and then there's a further sinkhole inside. So it's like a uh, it's a hole in a hole some Chuck Tingle shit. <laughs> and this enormous, beautiful sinkhole was caused by river erosion. It formed over a Daifang cave, which was carved by an underground river that still flows beneath the heavenly pit. And the pit is large enough and um, now accessible in a way that, um, so they wanted to encourage tourism. So they put stairs in it. And if you look at these aerial shots of the sinkhole, sometimes you can see like this tiny, tiny little thread on the side of it, and that's actually the, the stairway, the tourist path, to give you some scale of, of how big it is. The deepest part of the cave with the underground river was actually only recently mapped. Li Jiambo, who was writing an article in Too Deep for China Pictorial, he's a photographer, 
described going on this 11-day expedition that involved them camping in the bottom of the sinkhole because it was huge, right? So they completed the survey of the lower parts of the the hole because the sinkhole is not just the hole on top, but it opens up to this cavern, right? When they mapped the river to the end of where they could follow it, um, they found that the cave extended 4,102 meters. And that's just amazing. Um, They were talking about how even with stairs built in, it was this incredibly spooky, harrowing experience. Also, these big sinkholes have like their own ecosystems inside the local fauna and flora often will flourish in them. One of the ones JJ is about to describe actually has like snow leopards in it. Yeah. (laughs) So that's that's really awesome. But that is the deepest one. To go back to the feel of the sacred cenote, these sinkholes often have cultural significance. Think of how weird they are, right? People always want to describe these as like openings to hell or to some other world, some sort of threshold. There's also this kind of supernatural element drawn in in the case of the Sarisaranyama sinkholes. Yeah, which are super cool. In Venezuela, there are formations called tepuis. They're like Devil's Tower. They're throughout like Brazil and South yeah, America. Exactly. Yeah, they're basically yeah. like a little big, fat, tall plateau kind of a thing. Uh, Sarinyama tepui is hundreds of miles from the closest real road you have to trek through the forest to get to it. And in the summit area of Sarinsarinyama, there are sinkholes, particularly two significantly large ones known as Sima Humboldt and Sima Martel, Sima being the word for sinkhole. They're also called just Sima Mejor and Sima Menor, uh, large and small. Anyways, um, (laughs) Sima Humboldt, the big one, is 314 meters deep and actually holds a volume of 21 million cubic meters. Um, Jesus. Yeah, it's gigantic. I think that it's one of the biggest sinkholes in the whole world. Uh, it's said that the upper rim of the sinkhole, like how it is uh, at, at the very top, is 352 meters wide. Uh, but it actually opens up as it goes down to a total of 502 meters wide. Uh, Sima Menor is a bit smaller, but... Uh, they are both pretty gigantic. Uh, in particular, Sima Menor has an interesting feature where it contains stalactites, the, they, they stick to the ceiling, of an exotic black mineral called lithophorite, and it's just these beautiful dark black hanging things over the edge. Um, there's also smaller stalactites and uh, coralloids of opal, things like that. And gypsum crusts, all sorts of really, really cool mineralogical things. I do kind of really like geology and mineralogy and stuff like that. Anyways, the cool, the spoopy part of this is that, of course, something this gigantic and covered in black, dangly, spooky-looking rock formations is going to have some legends around it. And the name Sarisarinyama actually comes from the fact that there's a legend that the caves contain evil spirits that emerge to hunt from humans, and that the sound of them devouring human flesh can be heard, and then you can hear their voices echoing out of the dark pits. Sorry, sorry. Did you tell them how they found it first? Yeah, a pilot named Harry Gibson. And man, that just makes me think of like a super 1940s 
super pilot. Uh, but it was in the 70s. <laughs> that's, that's a lie. Um, Harry Gibson uh, flew over the sinkholes in 1961. But yeah, it wasn't until 1974 when adventurers David Knott and Charles Brewer Carre decided to tie ropes around themselves and jump on down in there to explore the largest sinkhole we've ever found. It was hard for them to get out because yeah. the helicopter couldn't rescue them. Yeah. So so basically the area around is like heavily forested mm-hmm. and there are huge trees and they were trying to clear out a space helicopter, but they ended up having to use cable ladders to get out. Yeah, so it was definitely a severe thing. Like, And even in the 70s, that people were having to do these sort of old-timey explorer-adventure type things is pretty amazing. Because, you know, they had to trek for miles and miles through the jungle. They eventually get there, and then they're like, alright! Tie a rope around waist, hop on in there, and then they can't get out, and they try to get a helicopter to get them out, but they can't, and they eventually have to get out with cable ladders. Um, I'm glad that they got out. The last of these like big natural sinkholes I want to talk about is one called the Great Blue Hole in Belize. And this is particularly cool because the Great Blue Hole is a submarine sinkhole. It's a giant underwater depression off the coast of Belize. And it's the center of a small atoll called Lighthouse Reef. And it's pretty big. It's about 100 feet across and about 410 feet deep. And yes, that's not nearly as big as the numbers that you've been hearing earlier. Remember that the other descriptions we were giving you were in meters, um, but it's still huge. And um, I, I encourage you again to look at photos of this because it looks like a giant eye in the middle of the ocean. Like there's actually an atoll around it that's almost like an iris and then a people. And it's really, really surreal looking. And, and some of the photos have like ships on them. So you can just see the scale of it. The Belize atolls aren't caused by volcanoes like other ones. They developed on these giant limestone ridges that kind of look like steps. And um, they have these huge drop-offs in places. So there are little drop-offs, but there are also ones that can go down to like thousands of feet. And that creates this weird kind of geology where where these things can form. So the Great Blue Hole uh, started out as caverns in the rock um, during the Ice Age, actually. And water would filter into the caverns, and over time they would collapse into each other, creating this huge chasm. And finally, when the top collapsed, um, the limestone fell down to the to the bottom of the hole, and you ended up with this huge natural sinkhole. Um, the first person to really map it out was Jacques Cousteau, <laughs> and you can easily go and scuba there. It's not dangerous, at least not in any way that's unusual. It's like a tourist attraction, but it's also one of these tourist attractions that people seem to, for whatever reason, want to stay away from. So if you go there, it's not crowded, which kind of takes us into the Siberian mega slump sinkholes. Mega slump. I just, I'm going to say mega slump. That's my normcore band. Yeah, mega slump. (laughs) Okay, we promised that there wouldn't be like rocks and geology in this, but we've already lied. So I'm going to keep lying to you and tell you all about thermokarst. (laughs) You're going to learn whether you like it or not. So thermokarst is a land feature that is marked by a pitted surface with like these marshy hollows that are created by permafrost thawing. This is what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. And thermokarst resembles the appearance and the topography of karst, but it doesn't consist of limestone, like the kind of karst that Blacksburg is sitting on top of Mm -hmm. and is going to be swelled up Mm -hmm. by. Uh, And 
the connection here to sinkholes is that domes temporarily form on the surface of thermokarst as the frost heaves with falling temperatures. Think of the seasonal cycle. So you can see this going on in Canada a lot, but it also can happen with like more general thawing over time, as you might find with, say, global warming. When the temperature rises, those domes caused by the frost heaves, they collapse. And that leaves a depression in the landscape. And the resulting sinkhole can arise extremely quickly and grow in a way that is catastrophic. They're just kind of starting to pop up. So the first one that we're going to talk about is the Patagai sinkhole. It is a new sinkhole. It's not like the ancient sacred cenote or the heavenly pit. This one actually came from a depression that started out in the 60s and only gave way in the 90s. So this sinkhole is in the Verkoyansk district of the Saka Republic in Siberia, near the town of Batagai, hence the name of the sinkhole. And I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering that. That town there is actually head-to-head with a nearby town, Oymyakon, for the world's coldest inhabited place. So the coldest place on Earth that humans live without bullshit special cases like mm. the Antarctic bases, right? So the surrounding area is just in a state of permafrost, right? Like the, the ground mm. is frozen because it's always that damn cold, except it's been less cold lately. So a couple of things had to happen here. First, in the 60s, a tree stand in an area of forest there was destroyed. So yeah, so a company came and they wrecked a tree stand. Uh, Tree stands anchor soil, they keep it in place. So there was some weakening there. But as climate change occurred, the ground weakened further because these newly exposed layers of glacial ice and permafrost started to melt. And as the permafrost melts, and you, you get that whole thermokarst issue, the ground gives way. And so it collapsed into this giant, giant sinkhole. This thing grows about 60 feet per year. It looks like a giant tadpole. It's amazing. Um, And it's grown over a mile long. It's up to 330 feet deep in spots. And it's unlike the other sinkholes in that it's like this spreading geological feature that looks more like a it almost looks like um, like a canyon opening or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's still a sinkhole, but it's more spread looking. And it causes these loud booming noises um, caused by the, the falling soil. Mm-hmm. The exposed soil, when they've sent expeditions into it, is about 200,000 years old. So that stuff has been frozen and hidden for a really, really long time, which makes it really valuable to researchers. But it's also kind of terrifying because, yeah, it continues to grow. According to Dr. Julian Merton at the University of Sussex, the last time we saw this kind of activity in the region would have been during the transition from the Ice Age to the Holocene era. And that was 10,000 years ago. This thing is happening, they're saying, because of the warming. And there's another instance in the uh, Tymir Peninsula in the Krasnoyarsk region, which was actually a giant sinkhole that had opened up in 2013 and was stumbled upon by reindeer herders who actually almost fell into it, but they didn't. It's fine. Um, They said that when they found it, it was only four meters in width and about 100 meters deep. But since then, it has gotten much, much, much bigger. As scientists investigated the Tymir hole, they found that at the time that it opened up, local residents heard a giant explosion. And one of them even said that they saw a clear glow in the sky. To me, this sounds a lot like there was some sort of trapped methane pocket or something like that that exploded or uh, at least caught fire, and that might have created the glow, maybe. I don't know. 
Another possibility is that a month before there had been a big meteor strike Mm -hmm. and they had asked people about this after the fact. So it's possible that they were like, oh man, that boom and the meteor strike and the flash. If they didn't know about the meteor because they don't have like smartphones. (laughs) Yeah, they might have thought that's what it was. But it does look like it is growing. Um, It looks like the hole now has a lake in it from melted snow. And experts do say that because this hole is expanding so rapidly, they think that soon uh, one of the walls is going to collapse and it's going to merge with a nearby lake. Because this area of the Tymere Peninsula is actually riddled with sinkholes. There's a bunch of them. And um, I think it says dozens in the Siberian Times article that I'm reading. It's interesting, too, that when the hole first appeared, um, locals said that it was the end of the world. And they started saying that either meteorites or stray missiles or maybe some kind of aliens were behind the sinkholes. Like the most hardcore heavy crop circles. Except it's not just like pushing down like wheat. It's pushing down the earth. Anyways. Yeah, so time here continues to grow. Um, Experts say that it might have been and I only bring this up because here's another fun word. Pingos. P-I-N-G-O-S. Pingos! Which are dome-shaped mounds over a core of ice. They can erupt under pressure of methane gas released by thawing permafrost. And that's, of course, again, caused by the warm temperatures. So, kind of in the same way that the Bayou Corn Salt Dome collapsed. Pingos! (laughs) Sorry, I'm gonna say pingos a lot now. Pingos! Um, also can explode and then collapse when the combination of melting permafrost and methane under pressure collide. Boom. Sinkhole. Okay, so I've been doing lots, lots of reading, and I am woke as fuck, Jack. Oh, this is the part where I get to get... I I gotta ask you, JJ. What? Just so I can anticipate where you're going. Uh Uh-huh. They're giant Bigfoot footprints. Good guess, Jack. That's very good. But this actually intersects with several other coast-to-coast type topics. I don't think that it actually is the interdimensional big feet this time. I don't I don't think we can put that on them. Okay, so we've got multiple <laughs> different theories, and I'm not sure whether which one is the truth or whether they're all the truth. I think it might be all of them. I think it might be all of them. So some people think that it's the end of days. They correlate the rapid, unbelievable, unmitigated increase in sinkholes these days, particularly noting an uptick in 2012. This is not actually true. There is not actually a statistical uptick in 2012. Anyways, like, yeah, people in 2012 really freaked out about sinkholes, and so they started reporting them more, and so people thought, oh my god, sinkholes are opening up every single week. Whoa! It was the end of times. This also also corresponded with the quote-unquote trumpet sounds or the mystery booms that people throughout the world started hearing right around 2012. Oftentimes people would hear a mystery boom and then a sinkhole would be found somewhere nearby. It is obviously not just the sound of the sinkhole collapsing that caused the mystery boom, but a trumpet summoning the end of days. It actually has an Old Testament precedent that God would sometimes open up the earth to swallow up sinners such as he did with Korok, who 
defied Aaron and Moses in the desert. Or it could be Harp. Harp. H-A-A-R-P. As you know, is an array. A say, they say it's a scientific array up in Alaska that the government is using to study the weather. But everybody knows they use it to control the weather because they are in charge of the clouds. And now I believe that Harp has opened up a sinkhole division where they can just beam into the ionosphere a radio signal that then penetrates the earth, drilling it out from the inside to target people that know too much. Or, or it could be angels calling people to go look in a hole. Why? Because they might see something. Is there something cool in it? There's, you're just going to have to go look. I think that's where the big feet come into the story. Is it? Is that the angels are trying to get you to go look at a Bigfoot? You guys, we finally have evidence. You just have to go in this big hole. Yeah, so a lot of people a lot of people also think it's aliens doing secret illegal alien mining for, you know, alien stuff up in our land. And of course, as you know, aliens can cloak themselves. That's how they make their getaway, and we don't actually see aliens before a sinkhole opens up, but I'm pretty sure that it's aliens also. So it might be Harp, it might be the end of the world, it might be angels, it might be aliens. It is not big feet. Their feet are not that big. You know, we did talk a little bit about, like, the distinction between urban man-made sinkholes with sewer pipes and salt dome farming, and then natural sinkholes that open up through natural erosion, and then we have the whole mega-slump thermokarst problem where global warming is causing permafrost to melt and causing sinkholes there. So one of the things that this brings up, so the, the thermokarst issue, and also things like the Bayou Corn story, sinkholes are hints at Ways that we still don't completely understand the way we interact with the natural world. And I don't mean this in a, like, we should be afraid of technology. Mining is a bad way. I mean, in the, like, the world is complicated. And when you do certain things, there could be huge consequences because you're disrupting a complex system that we don't know where all the pieces fall yet. And what this makes me think of is... Kind of like a sinkhole-prone situation in Paris, historically. Mm -hmm. um, Paris had mining going on all the time for hundreds and hundreds of years. People were digging tunnels underneath Paris, and no one tracked where those tunnels were. And a couple hundred years ago, um, the 1700s, people actually stopped and said, Oh, wait, um, all of these collapses are happening. What's up with that? And they sent people down to survey, and they discovered that basically... Paris was sitting on like a like a hollow anthill of tunnels, and that's why you can't build many tall things on it um, mm -hmm. because it's so fragile. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like one of these human intervention sinkholes where instead of there being like soil erosion, we were digging and we were undermining the foundation that way. But you know that was a case where a whole bunch of people were just behaving in a way that didn't have obvious consequences to them at the time. Um, and we didn't really know what the features of the geography were and how, how the physics of it worked. And we later discovered could have really, really devastating effects. That and the Texas brine story, and, and of course, these new Siberian sinkholes just kind of gives me this like weird, spooky, primitive feeling of what are we fucking with? There's something really 
creepy about this reminder that we don't understand how the world works and there are bigger processes in us mm-hmm. and we can fuck things up really easily. <laughs> yeah. Or that like other people that we've never even met can ruin something. People in like the past, the distant past can ruin something that will affect us right now that we have absolutely no power over, no way to defend ourselves against a deep uncertainty yeah. that can't really be wrangled by anything. You know, you like, can have a pipe 140 feet under the ground burst and never know until it swallows up your your house. There's video of a sinkhole opening up in China under a sidewalk that like people fell into, like a woman fell into the hole and died just in walking down the street, which is terrifying. I, I think that they're particularly frightening to people for reasons that have to do with, with the way humans when we talk about someone who has their shit together and knows what they're doing and is like not going to panic, we say that they're grounded. Mm-hmm. We talk about we want to be on solid ground or we want to give something a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, we think about the earth as being this very like fundamental, safe, like foundational, not just in the sense of, yes, it's literally what's under us, but like also like metaphorically, it, it takes on this significance as this thing that we can trust and is secure. Mm-hmm. Just seeing something that appears to be solid just kind of open up in this gaping chasm mm-hmm. can can hit us somewhere primitive. It's not just a physical, but like a metaphorical threat. It represents the thing that we thought was solid the stuff that we think is certain aren't is not certain. I think we also forget that we live in three dimensions frequently. You know, I do. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to make like 50 foot drops vertically with any kind of regularity. <laughs> so that the earth could just drop out below you and you will fall. It's like if something, you know, just sucked you up into the sky. I think it also speaks to how much humans are freaked out when boundaries are violated. And I think that solid ground is a very basic boundary. From very young childhood, we learn how to walk on solid ground. That solidness just not existing. I think that that sort of lower bound that we seek comfort in than not being a source of comfort or reliability is just rough. And I think that kind of ties into why we're so afraid of things like quicksand, even though quicksand in real life isn't that much of a hazard. Right. Um, I think really there, like, maybe it's because it it has that same threat to our our boundary notion. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. And I'm glad that we covered this because it seems very weird to me that there's this sort of bored, avoidant kind of dancing around sinkholes instead of like a large group of people that are talking about how utterly terrifying it is. That that guy could just slip into the water table. Something brought up there was like the Bolton Strid. This isn't a sinkhole, but it's like this this river that looks very much like a gentle stream. But what has happened is that it's a river that like narrows down to like this stride, like a stride's length across that just shifted orientation. So it's no longer shallow and wide. It's incredibly deep and incredibly narrow. And so Mm -hmm. has this vicious current. So people would just fall in and they get pulled beneath the rocks of the strid. And so people would fall into like this gentle looking little like brook looking thing and just like never be seen from again. Wow. Um, That's terrifying. I think these are like very primal things. Yeah. Well, I think I think that about wraps up the episode. I hope a sinkhole doesn't eat you. I hope a sinkhole doesn't eat you. Thanks. And I hope a sinkhole doesn't eat any of our listeners either. Yeah, if you're a sinkhole, please be nice. 
Yeah, yeah, like, go find a nice place in a jungle to open up. Do what the Katara Depression does and um, be used for potential hydroelectrics in the future. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's positive. That is a positive, community-oriented effort. (laughs) Yeah. Good on you, sinkhole. (laughs) Yeah, good on you, Katara Depression. Well, anyways, folks, uh, thanks for listening to Paragoricon as usual. You might have noticed in this episode that we sound a little bit different. That's because we are transitioning to our phase two, where Jack is in Pittsburgh and I'm still in the truth room in Blacksburg. Uh, so we're going over Skype and uh, hopefully our if our audio quality isn't perfect or exactly the same, we're still going to be working on it. But you can always look forward to amazing content and thinky thoughts that we think with our brains. And we're not shifting to be all about rocks. Yeah. This was a one-time thing. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, if you are visiting us after hearing our amazing Chuck Tingle episode, we hope that you don't think we're super boring all of a sudden because we're not constantly talking about gay dinosaur sex. Anyways, um, if you liked us, follow us on SoundCloud, do the rate and review thing on iTunes. We also are on Facebook, stuff like that. <laughs> Good night, listeners. Good night. This has been Paragoricon, a podcast of strangeness and truth. Hosted by Jack Parker and J.J. Roy. Produced by Will Marone. Opening theme by Chris Zabriskie, Prelude Number 15. For more information and references, check out our blog at paragoricon.wordpress.com. There is no hope unmingled with fear, and no fear unmingled with hope. Baruch Spinoza.